Hi everyone, Ryan here, host of the Worst of the Best podcast. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you'll still give us a listen. It's not often that we talk about true crime, but this episode, we are doing that. So there are going to be some topics that we discuss today that involve horrific events that happen to some individuals. And we don't go into great detail, but we want to make it clear that we do describe some of the results of the crimes that happen to these people. And if such content is something that would be upsetting to you, feel free to not listen or skip such parts as they come about. It's not every single topic, but they do come up. So this is not necessarily not safe for work. It's just a darker subject today. Other than that, happy Halloween. Everyone be safe. And let's take a listen to today's episode. Welcome to the worst of the best podcast. You wanted the best. Well, they didn't freaking make it. So here's what you get from Canada and Texas. Ryan and Bob. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know you're ready. All right. Welcome to the Worst of the Best podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and with me is Bob from the No Redeemings Quality Podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? This is the first time that you've been on my show, right? That is right. At least this show. Wait, did we go on the Rocky Podcast show? You've been on twice on that one. What? I haven't. Have I? I th- well, I know you've been on at least once. If not, I think you just came on our show. No, I'm ninety percent sure you guys came on mine. At least Zip has, but I think you ran out of Rocky shit for me to wait. Are you swearing on this show? Don't worry about it. I will edit accordingly. Uh, just, just, just. <laughs> I'll keep it to a minimum. I'll, I'll try and keep it to a, a zero, and then we'll do my best. Anyway, so, so I think you ran out of Rocky. Before I could come on to that one. We're on the Creed franchise now on that one. Oh, God. I was not a fan. Anyway. No, you don't have to be. We're torn about the Creed franchise. We are. There's good things and bad things. All the good stuff in the Creed films happens to be when Stallone's on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, no. I said at least Michael B. Jordan's still alive. He's still alive. Yeah, for sure. Well, Stallone's still alive, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zip might jump in mid-recording. If he does, great. If not, uh, Bob and I are prepared to pick up the slack, which is, you know, regarding Zip, that's pretty common. We ha- we often have to pick up his slack, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, we keep up the energy. That's how it goes. <laughs> well, I'm excited to riff with you all the same. And this will be a, I guess this is part of the Gamber Gator Halloween. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are they do Halloween in Canada? Yeah, we absolutely I don't know. We get told it's only American all the time when it goes to the other Commonwealth countries. So, I think it's even in some places in Europe and like England, I think, does Halloween and stuff like that. Uh, but definitely Canada. It's uh, very well celebrated up here. In fact, we do like fireworks and firecrackers on Halloween. But I'm jelly. I want some of that. 
Yeah, it's amazing. It's toned down a little bit over the years, but when I was a teenager, we would have like the Roman Candle Wars and Firecracker Wars and get chased by the cops. Fireworks for us are like the same thing for handguns for you guys. (laughs) How cold is it on Halloween up there? Well, it depends on north you are, of course. Any city along the border, it's normal fall weather. It's chilly. Very rarely is it snowing, but just again, it depends how far north you are. Not for the majority of the population. It's just chilly and cold. This is good Canada talk for everybody. (laughs) Hey, why not? Hey, that's okay. We're an international uh, podcast, you know. As stated in my intro, the the listeners heard that you are from Texas. and, And funny enough, we are going to talk about Texas today. Were there any of these stories or accounts that you, anything that you were familiar with? So I did know about the Amber Alert system at least a little bit, and I knew about Wendigos in general. Well, that's good because today's list is the top 10 lesser known Texas terrors. It's good that you didn't know them all or else that would kind of defeat the purpose of the list. (laughs) Oh, oh, crap. I did know about the railroad killer. I remember when that was happening. Okay, don't say any more. Don't say any more because I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Okay, so what we're going to do, I would suspect, I didn't know any of these, and that's probably partially due to my geographical location. I didn't know any of these, but it's not surprising that you might have heard of some of these having been and having, you are now a resident in Texas. Have you been in Texas your whole life? Born and raised, baby, in the Houston area. Yep, H-Town, all the way. Texas, as you know, is a big state, but I always thought it was the biggest, but I guess Alaska takes that. Alaska's the biggest now. Okay. Now, what is a Texas German? Germans were a huge population of immigrants whenever they moved here, and there are still parts of the state, like in central Texas, where Austin is located. It's directly in the middle of the state. Outside of the city, when you get into like the rural parts, there are still small towns where people speak German, and they'll hold church services in German and things like that. Okay, interesting. And the, what is Texas German? Do they actually mix some German with Texas or English? It's a thing. Uh, that's a big beer culture. And like we still have beer gardens and things like that. Oh, cool. Well, cool. <laughs> well, that's kind of the lighter side of Texas. But unfortunately, there is a dark side to Texas. You probably know this, and I'm sure listeners know this, but Texas is huge. It's uh, got a rich history. And because of that, there's a lot of tales of uh, ghosts and ghouls. And some of our tales today might involve some ghosts. And some of them are real-life people that are, I would say, scarier than ghosts. This list will combine the real with the supernatural. And we're going to discuss those now. What made you bring up Texas Germans? I was just curious. In my my research about Texas, they were were talking about uh, there were thousands of Germans. I wanted to hear your take on it. That's all. Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Well, I mean, there's pockets of other cultures everywhere in Canada, too, and and, in the U.S., but I'm just curious how the Germans ended up in Texas, that's all. Yeah, that's a big population. That's where um, Texas-style barbecue comes from. It's the uh, the Czech immigrant populations. That's Ah. where that all came from. Okay, there you go. Mm -hmm. All right, the Germans like, hey, we want to go where uh, being white is uh, the way to be. Is there... (laughs) Like, there's a whole lot of whole lot of room. So. <laughs> Jeez. All right. So here we go. Number ten. Deep in southern Texas, between the city of San Antonio and the Gulf Coast, lies a town called Yorktown. Have you heard of this town? 
No, and that's a whole lot of area for them to say. Yeah, sure. I don't know the area. Yorktown had a hospital there that was uh, built in the late 1800s, and it closed down just in 1986, but it stayed open after 86 to 92, strictly as a drug rehabilitation facility. And it catered to patients seeking recovery from drugs and alcohol. But it seems that at the time, though, as you can imagine, people that went there were sick. Maybe you could say they were uh, angry, mental health issues, whatever. And during that time, many people died there. Specifically between 1950 and 1980, 2,000 patients died there. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, that's common for hospitals. And speaking of – so we're talking about a haunting here at the Yorktown yeah. Hospital. So this is the Yorktown Memorial Hospital. I would say if you're into investigating hauntings and if you, that is something that you enjoy uh, looking into, abandoned hospitals are probably pretty common <laughs> hotspots for hauntings just because of the the energy. If you just want to talk about energy, there's a lot of sadness, sickness, pain, death. So if there ever was – and I would say jails would probably be number two for that kind of haunting. Mm-hmm. One of uh, Houston's most famous ones is the old Jefferson Davis Hospital. Oh, yep. there you go. Yeah. To this day, the uh, it's owned by private, privately owned now, and it's now open to the public for people to go and experience the strange lights, inexplicable sounds. They people hear uh, footsteps and toys start talking and all this stuff. And I've actually went on YouTube today to see if anyone has recorded anything. Of course, people have. It's legit. A really, at the very least, it is. They did not do anything to upkeep it. Whoever bought that, this place literally said, we're going to buy it, and we're not going to do anything to it. And huh. it, it's gross. It looks terrible. It's gross. There's like <laughs> some interesting photos and stuff. Uh, people, look, what's your feelings on hauntings? Do you think they're real? psychic energy strange you can really manifest a whole lot of stuff whenever you start believing in things you can really put a lot of uh, emphasis into just the void my man really depends yeah i i I sometimes wonder about that too i wonder how much of it is us projecting our own fears they did film stuff there was if you're to believe the photos that i saw on youtube some of the photos and film footage was pretty pretty convincing i've seen some stuff on the internet seems pretty convincing so am i being lied to maybe but at the same time yeah i wonder how much of our own personal energy goes out Mm -hmm. there because you have people like i don't believe that stuff i don't believe it's it's all hogwash and then of course they'll never have anything happen to them because they just don't believe it yeah i also do know that there's weird like physical explanations for things like there's certain sound frequencies that are like the resonance frequency for your eyeballs that actually make you see gray things on like the fringes of your eyesight because it's the resonance frequency for your eyes also causes extreme paranoia or just fear and anxiety because it's this strange sensation that your brain isn't used to being able to handle because your eyeballs resonate things like that so yeah it's up to interpretation would you ever visit a a place like this pay money If if you had the money would you stay overnight in a place like this Oh man, overnight? Uh, dep- like an abandoned hospital? With, with, no. with, with, with a group of people. Let's see, it's, it's you and Zip. Uh, an abandoned hospital? No. <laughs> <laughs> like haunted hotels? Sure, definitely. I would totally do that today. I'd go on Halloween. I'd take a date to a haunted hotel. But like a dirty ass, like abandoned hospital that's all grody and slimy and. Full of horrendous things? Absolutely not. I'm not going to pay money to go do that. 
Well, this is a popular hotspot. I did read some Google reviews, and people, if like again, if you believe the reviews, people have seen things. They've seen uh, musical sounds in the hallways. They've seen shadow figures with red eyes, uh, mm-hmm. talking dolls. Yeah, it's not for me. That one. That's what you said that made me say, I've seen that already going around. The talking toys is what said, like, absolutely not. I would not be able to handle that. Oh, but yeah. If I saw that in reality, I would immediately be out the door. There you go. All right, let's move to number nine. The Yorktown Wendigo. Okay. Okay. And Yorktown, same small little town, according to eyewitnesses, People have posted their experiences online. Yorktown is possibly home to a Wendigo. (laughs) Now, (laughs) Ryan, do you know what a Wendigo is? I don't. I'm looking at the the artist rendition here. I I would think it was like a dog, but I guess it's not. Okay. Actually, artist renditions of Wendigos can be freaking horrifying. Oh, jeez. Dude, some Wendigo drawings and there's uh, models and things are terrifying. I do not like them. They freak me out. (laughs) But a Wendigo is supposedly, there's a lot of Native American renditions. What do they call Native Americans in Canada? Like First Peoples? Aboriginal or First Nations, yeah. First Nations. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of folklore around Wendigo. Okay. And a lot of what they're interpretations was they were people that resorted to cannibalism and that's what happens when you resort to cannibalism is you become a wendigo like you know how a lot of religious practices were to prevent you from doing doing something like they say how a lot of orthodox jewish practices of kosher were health practices like shellfish and things at the time and blah 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 and pork and stuff like that it was like yeah don't be cannibals because you become a wendigo things like that (laughs) oh wow (laughs) yeah i I think there's an x-files episode on this oh probably but they're gigantic like skinwalker things okay they're horrific and they're super pale skin and giant teeth and really long spindly appendages and stuff like that they're murderous Mm. and they can possibly turn other people into wendigos and stuff like that but apparently outside of Yorktown, Texas, people have come into contact with the Wendigo. Boy, Yorktown. And, uh, Boy, that's a bad yeah. place. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of this Yorktown place, and I need <laughs> to look it up and possibly go out there. But there's a whole Reddit page dedicated to the Wendigo, and if you want to look it up, you can go to the Yorktown Wendigo page and see what people have to say. But apparently, it's bald and has black eyes, and you can see it on misty nights outside of Yorktown. So, Oh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah. So for our listeners, I forgot to say that's okay. So what we're going to be doing here, I haven't really figured out the criteria for this because this is the worst of the best. So this is kind of a best of lesser known Texas terrors. So that's what makes them the best. So they're, they're not a good thing, but it's the best of a, the lesser known Texas terrors. So we have to decide. Now, don't say it now, of course, but at the end, at the end of our list, because I haven't made my pick yet. We can figure out how we want to do it. Like, what is the worst thing you would want to face, be a part of, or, you know what I mean? Or what you just think is the worst evil. Whatever you want. Well, I'll make it whatever you want at the end. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, it's kind of like, if you had to come face to face with whatever this thing is, whatever it is out of the list, maybe that would count. Like, what is the one thing you would want to face the least? <laughs> okay. I got gotcha. you. Okay. I'm, I'm down. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. All right. Good. All right. Number eight. The Goat Man of Lake Worth. Have you ever heard of Lake Worth? 
<laughs> I, I have heard of a goat man. So uh, Lake Worth, I do know Lake Worth. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay. So uh, you, you, you've heard of a goat man? I've heard of Goat Boy from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> By Jim Brewer. Yeah, was, there we go. That's yeah. what I was thinking. All right. So it all started in July 1969 across from Greer Island on the north side of Texas's Lake Worth. A crowd of startled spectators saw a creature that was neither a goat nor a man. In fact, as they claimed, the creature was a fishy goat man. <laughs> <laughs> One member of the crowd had enough of their wits left to snap a photo of the monster, and they captured a furry, hazy, and large white thing standing tall amongst the weeds. Do you see it? Oh, yeah. Uh, that is a man wearing a carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it's not a fishy goat man? What about the goat man is fishy is what I want to know. Are they saying it smells fishy or? I don't know. Maybe because it was near the water. That's my only guess. Later known simply as the Lake Worth Goat Man, this strange cryptid is not America's only half goat monstrosity, but it may well be its most documented. After first appearing in an article in the Star-Telegram newspaper, the goat man quickly became became a local celebrity with area residents investing in traps and bullets, sounds like Texas, in order mm-hmm. to in order to capture or kill the creature. Goatman hunters are so numerous that the website for the Tarrant County Historical Journal felt it necessary to post a warning about going after Greer Island's most famous resident. <laughs> Why is the first instinct to kill the thing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't Why did it catch the goat man? Well, they did have traps. So I guess there were some who had traps and some who had bullets. I think so. Whatever, whatever. So they could kill it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So while it was written off as a hoax, the goat man, which eyewitnesses claim jumped on parked cars and grabbed at least one female on the night of July 9th, 1969. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah, goat man. Get it. Well, he was the center of several police reports for at least two months. Similarly, one of the cars attacked by the monster was found to have an 18-inch gash on the side of its doors. So local police investigated but came up empty. Several decades later, in 2005, a reporter for the Star-Telegram again received a letter lacking a name and forwarding address, but the bizarre letter offered a confession. The writer said that they were once a student at North Side High School, and on July 9, 1969, they went out to Lake Worth wearing a mask. They did it just to scare their classmates. The letter has never been verified, but it's more than likely true that the goat man was some dumb teenager in a fursuit or a carpet, like you're saying. But on the off chance that a half man, half goat roams Lake Worth, it would be a good idea to visit the location with a camera and a well-oiled hunting rifle. <laughs> I, now that we've gotten through that, after you got to that part, I do remember this story only because I do remember them sending in the letter. But as we were getting to that, I was just like, wait a second. In broad daylight, at some point, the goat man jumps on a car in front of people and grabs a woman like it tries to run off. And people were just like, Oh no, what a mystery! And like, just let the goat man get away? Maybe they should have changed his name. After grabbing the woman, it should have been the grope man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. 
That kid is lucky he didn't get murdered. Oh, no. By, but he, did he know that everybody was going out to shoot him? <laughs> well, it sounds like it was just one night of groping and goading. <laughs> Man. That just turned into a whole, like, let's get this guy, but he never showed up again. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> I hope that suit was easy to put together. I mean, it looks like it. It looks like he just put together a shag carpet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Goatman. Goatman, he's my favorite. Definitely not the mm-hmm. worst. He's, so far, he's the best. Goatman. He should be a character on a comic book or something. Yeah, I'd hang out with Goatman. <laughs> All right, I've got the next one. Number seven, Rumors of the Devil. Okay. What year were you born again? 89. Okay, you don't remember this. I was born in 75, so uh, I do recall the 80s being much like what we're about to read here. Because I was 15 when 1990 hit, so I was definitely of age to remember kind of the scare, uh, but kind of the paranoia behind Satanic Panic. Yeah, so the 1980s were the decade of Reaganomics, Margaret Thatcher, Popular Excess, Cocaine, and Heavy Metal, which I totally participate in and still do Heavy Metal and Hard Rock. The 1980s were also the age of the Satanic Panic, a protracted hysteria that blamed everything from MTV to Dungeons & Dragons for the supposed upsurge in Satanic crimes. The good people of Texas were not immune to this virus. Truth be told, one of the most infamous examples of the Satanic Panic occurred in the small town of Childress between 1988 and 91. So this is what happened. One evening, terrible discovery was made. Tate Rowland, a local teenager, was found hanging from a tree. Now, the sheriff's department interviewed everyone in the Roland family, and to, and to a person, they said that Tate was not suicidal. However, the one eyewitness in the case contradicted this, saying that he saw Tate hang himself. And that's about where things stood until May of 91, when... So basically, the, the contradiction is that somebody said that, yeah, I saw him hang himself, which is odd that his buddy was just like, or his eyewitness is like, yeah, I saw a guy hang himself. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the family was like, I, we never saw any mental health issues. So understandable, but all the same was ruled a suicide. That's about where things stood until 90, May of 91, when 27-year-old Terry Trosper, Tate's older sister, was also found dead in her bed. So two deaths anywhere is alarming in, in a family, but when it happens in a town of just 5,800 people, it might be more than a coincidence. Despite family assertions to the contrary, investigators learned that Tate's death was a suicide caused by a recent breakup with his girlfriend. As for Terry, an autopsy found that she had died after choking on her own vomit. And Terry's blood also showed a high levels of the drug Elevil, which is most often used to treat anxiety and major depressive disorder. So these official findings were not made public in time to stop a panic, however. So the rumor mill at Childress went to work even before Tate Rowland was buried. Reports flooded into the police saying that strange and unknown people attended Tate's funeral, including one young male who chanted the word suicide, suicide, throughout the service. <laughs> uh. <laughs> this rumor ran in conjunction with several police reports filed in November of 1980, which claimed that a truck carrying unidentified persons was seen trying to pick up children from local schools. Some even said that Tate himself was a member of a satanic cult. Yeah, there were even reports of people in black robes hanging in, out in abandoned buildings. And one report went so far as to say that a local teenager <laughs> was seen eating the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. Oh my goodness. Okay, so things took a strange turn when Darwin Wilkes, a friend of Terry's, tried to commit suicide by swallowing between 25 and 30 tablets of Elabil. His suicide note read, 
I know something the cops don't know. I know who killed Terry. I can't live anymore. So a new autopsy on Tate, Roland's body, discovered that he too had taken Elville before his death. Even more shocking were the findings of the second autopsy on Terry, which found that she had contusions on her inner thighs and in her mouth, which is really bad that they found this on the second autopsy. This is something you think you would automatically look for if you, you may have seen too many crime shows, but the first thing you look for, especially on female victims or any victim really, is you're looking for sexual assault. Mm-hmm. These wounds did indicate that she'd been sexually assaulted by at least two men prior to her death. So now this adds up a little bit. But you could also argue that you had, yeah, she still could have committed suicide because of the sexual assault. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So in the wake of these findings, the Texas Rangers put out a pamphlet outlining what to look for in ritual murder cases. Although Tate Rollins is still considered a suicide, and even though no murder charges were ever brought in the case of Terry Trosper, many people in that town think that dark forces were at play back in those days. Mm-hmm. Pretty weird. We have so many little towns out here that have their own weird little stories about how they think they're satanic cults that used to be around back there. And there's all sorts of abandoned little houses that there's little Satanists in there and you can see them at night. There's Athens, Texas, which uh, they still say they're Satanists out there. It's embarrassing a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) But no, that's bizarre. I would argue, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not shaming uh, religious people here but I'm, I'm just saying i think texas is kind of known for its mm, religious vigor oh you kidding me <laughs> i'm trying to be polite <laughs> yeah it's bible belt country around here so i wonder if there's a connection between blaming all this craziness just on the yeah, you know some people are just have mental health issues Oh, no, yeah. Uh, this was at a time during the 80s when people still were refused to acknowledge depression and suicide and anxiety, especially in young men. I'm going to assume, like, weird that the boy was found with the Elleville overdose. I would think maybe the girls raped and murdered and they made it look like a suicide. I don't know. Mm. Oh, Interesting. Too bad. Rest in peace to those poor families, all yep. the same. Jeez. All right. You want to talk about the Amber Alert system? Yeah, I, I had no idea there was any any connection yeah, to Texas. Yeah, have that in Canada? No, we have it, but I didn't realize that there's a Texas connection. Yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, we call it that here. Do y'all have the Silver Alert? Not th- if we do, I don't. I I don't know. I haven't heard of it. Silver alert is for an elderly person oh, who may like silver fox. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, exactly. Actually, like an elderly person who may or may not have control of their mental faculties, who sure. like has driven away from their home. Yeah, just missing. That's what it's called. The Amber Alert system was born out of God. I don't even know how to approach this, Ryan, because it's such a just a sad story. It's not sure. even a terrible story. Why is this on the list, Ryan? <laughs> I don't know. I know. it's It sucks. It, but You didn't I, generate the list. Having not read what you're about to read, I'm assuming something happened to a, a poor child. And oh, no, you haven't read it, have you? No. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Now you, now you have to hear. Do we have to, <laughs> do we have to give a uh, – well, we can edit it a little bit if we don't want to be too on the no, nose. No, it's not graphic or anything. Okay, just, but we like, just want yeah. to give. A tr- well, I don't. I don't like to. I'm not trying to be glib here, but if there's anyone that has a trigger warning about uh, violence yeah, to, sure, ch- to children, uh, you might yeah. want to skip this segment. Okay. Yeah, it's very, very unfortunate. 
Amber Alert system came about was in 1996. Nine-year-old Amber Hagerman of Arlington, Texas. Arlington is a town in between Dallas and Fort Worth. She was playing or riding her bike in the parking lot of an abandoned grocery store when a man in a black pickup truck grabbed her and threw her in the cab of of his truck. An eyewitness who saw her get tossed into his truck called the police and then they began searching for with 50 other officers and unfortunately they were never able to find her. Mm. And like after five days, somebody found her corpse in a creek four miles away and her killer had cut her throat in half and she was naked and bruised and he they did find out that she had been sexually assaulted. Right. Now that I look again, yeah. After that, in 1997, they created the Dallas Amber Plan. And that would later become the Amber Alert System in 2000. But to this day, we still do not know who Amber Hagerman's killer is. And it is arguably Texas's biggest cold case. Mm. I did not know that the Amber Alert system was not created until 2000. Yeah, I thought I thought it was early. Is this a is this a Mandela effect? Yeah, I swear I, to God, I, my I, mom told me about this when I was a kid. Yeah, do you remember it from when you were younger? It says here, who was the Amber Alert named after? Amber Alert was named after nine-year-old Amber, who was abducted mm-hmm. and killed in Texas. Okay, so. <laughs> Yeah. Is this a Mandela effect? I swear the Amber Alert was around when I was a kid. I was born in 75. Dude, I did too. Okay, it was 96 when uh, she died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Canada System began in 2002? What? Yeah, man! Yeah, we do have it in Canada, but I... Okay, I don't know. So listeners, let us know out of this uh, very terrible story, kind of an interesting development. Is this a Mandela effect? Because we have two people... <laughs> think- <laughs> Yeah, man. That's I weird. I swear it was before 2002. After this, I was thinking, like, so you grew up, like, sentient through the 80s. <laughs> I was born in 89. Were you around when there were actually photos of kids on milk cartons? Wait, no, y'all had bags in Canada. No, some parts do. Uh, here here in Quebec, we do. Uh, okay. There's milk bags. Um, where I'm from, British Columbia, originally, yeah, there's uh, just your normal milk cartons. Maybe our brains are retroactively calling what we remember others. But no, but that doesn't make... I rem, Anyways, that's weird. Yeah. I, I thought it was older. Did they have pictures of kids on milk cartons, though, when you were growing up, like in the 80s? No, I thought that I remember. Maybe the post office or... But okay. we, we just didn't have that many missing kids. I don't remember them happening. I was wondering if that was just like a thing from the movies or not. Bless uh, Amber and her family. But out of that tragedy, you know, it's helped find other children. So I guess we move on to the eyeball killer now. Yes, a much lighter note. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the eyeball killer. Check him out. <laughs> you get the eyeball killer. That. Okay, you get. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll take all the light ones. Okay, so beginning <laughs> in late 1990. Prostitutes in Dallas began dying at an alarming rate. Oh, God. Okay. So, yeah. This happens beginning in late 1990. Prostitutes in Dallas began dying at an alarming rate. 
It was obvious that someone was doing the killing, and that someone was a seriously sick individual. The killer signed all of his handiwork with his gruesome calling card, the removal of victims' eyes. A man later known as the Eyeball Killer was born Charles Frederick Albright in Amarillo, Texas, in the Depression year of 1933. Man, he was born in 33, and he started doing this in 1990. Jesus, he was an old man. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's not that bad. (laughs) Not that bad for a serial killer. Yeah. Um, A late bloomer. A late bloomer. (laughs) Adopted by the Albright family a few weeks after his birth, young Charles grew up in a comfortable middle-class life, but underneath the surface there was trouble brewing. Del Albright, Charles's mother, believed in harsh discipline. When Charles misbehaved, Del would tie him to the bed. There were also times when Del got pleasure out of making Charles wear girls' clothing. This is literally like serial killer soup here. Like, this is how it works. Uh, how can I make my child turn into a killer? Yeah, I, how, how oh my goodness, this is terrible. Continue. Oh my god. And she enrolls in age eleven, she enrolls him in a taxidermy class. <laughs> this can't be real. <laughs> so Charles to taxidermy like a natural. No kidding. And before long, he was skinning and stuffing dead birds. The only problem was that Dell would not pay for fake eyes for the dead animals. So Charles was told to use buttons instead. This sounds like a Neil Gaiman novel, like something out of Hellraiser. Charles was an intelligent boy, but prone to mischief. At age 15 in 1948, he contracted crabs after sleeping with a local prostitute. <laughs> a year later... <laughs> He stole $380 from a cash register. Two years later, Charles was sent to jail for the first time after he was convicted of theft and receiving stolen property. Charles would be in and out of trouble for the rest of his life. In 51, he broke into the Arkansas State Teachers College and stole nude pictures from a female dormitory. Oh, man. Yeah. He could only imagine the the cell phones of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Are these artistic nudes that he got from the dorm, or are these like no, girls? No, it's, just- it's from the female dormitory. I guess he just figured or knew the girls had do photos of themselves in their drawers, uh, in their personal cubicles, or something weird. Nineteen fifty-one. How did he know who the risque girls yeah. in the were? He must have got some intel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on one of these pictures. Charles glued the eyes that he had cut out of a picture of a friend's ex-girlfriend. Yep. (laughs) That was a nice grumble. It's crazy. (laughs) Charles continued to steal, got married to a woman named Betty Nestor, and in 1981 was accused of molesting a nine-year-old girl. Four years later, Charles admitting to molesting the preteen daughter of a church friend, he received probation. The first of the eyeball killer murders was discovered on December 13, 1990. The corpse belonged to a 33-year-old prostitute, Mary Lou Pratt. I remember that name. Oh. Yeah. She had been found partially nude in a field. Albright had sexually assaulted Pratt before shooting her execution style in the back of the head. The autopsy found that Pratt's killer had removed her eyeballs with surgical skill. Two months after this homicide, 27-year-old prostitute Susan Peterson was found dead about a mile away from the Pratt crime scene. She, too, had had her eyeballs removed. A third prostitute, on March 19, 1981, 
There's some more eyeballs taken out with an X-Acto knife. This dude. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Let's, let's go down the list. Yep. Uh, he was only convicted of the murder of Shirley Williams. Today, he was still behind bars in Lubbock, Texas, counting down the endless days of a life sentence. Wow, so how old uh, is he now? I mean, he... 33? So, 1933 was when he was born. He's, he's so. nearing 100. Wow! Man! It's always the evil dudes who live forever. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so this guy, uh, had multiple prostitutes, and he was just big on the exact knife taking out those eyeballs. The interesting part of all, all of this was just how his mother groomed him. What, that, what was her deal? <laughs> it's always that way. If they're just super weird and strict. Like, they're just like... Well, the... Uh, the killing continues. Here we go with number four. This is the servant girl annihilator, but we're going to go back in time. Austin, 1884 to 1885. I love the name. The servant girl annihilator. That sounds like a great pornography. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to call it, this would be a, a great song for like a death metal band. You know. Also true. <laughs> the servant girl annihilator. This is our new track. Hit it, boys. Uh, Austin, 1884 to 1885. A frightening serial killer roamed the city. No servant girl was safe. The first murder came to light on December 30th, 1884. The victim was an African-American cook named Molly Smith. Now, Smith was found in a rare patch of Texas snow. I guess you know, guys don't get a lot of snow there, right? And, uh, no. So her body showed that she had been stabbed in the stomach, chest, arms, and legs. And she'd also been st- struck in the head with an axe. The next victim, Eliza Shelley, was found dead on May 7th, 1885. Like Smith, she was a black cook. And also like Smith, she had been struck in the head with an axe. The attacks... Ramped up after the murder of Eliza Shelley, Irene Cross was stabbed several times with a knife and was almost scalped on May 23rd. 11-year-old Mary Ramey was raped and stabbed through the ear on August 30th. Two individuals were found bludgeoned to death. One report likened their heads to jelly. Oh, you ever think about how horrible it would be to get scalped? Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I have. Well, actually, yeah, I've, I've seen a few movies, and it's very uncomfortable to, to see those scenes. So mm-hmm. the uh, the killer named the Annihilator. Now you know why he's called Annihilator, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This is destroying <laughs> the bodies. Jelly. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> the Annihilator was still not done. On Christmas Eve, 1885, he struck twice in one night. The victims were 17-year-old Eula Phillips and Susan Hancock. These murders broke with the earlier pattern for both women because for both women were killed in their homes and both were white. Mm. Yeah, no, he's an equal rights killer, so that's good. Oh, it's a dude. I thought it was a lady. No, I thought it was too. It's no, it's it's a man doing this. Well, we'll get to it. We're not too sure. As quickly as the murders came to town, he or maybe she vanished. But I think the rape of the one is the one that gave it away. That might be a man. Well, that makes sense. By the end of 1885, the servant girl annihilator was no longer committing crimes. All told, he killed eight people, seven women, and one man. He mostly preyed on working-class black women, and his weapons of choice were that of the knife and the axe. At the time, several suspects had been put forward. Author Shirley Harrison believes that Austin's servant girl annihilator was none other than London's Jack the Ripper. That's one of the theories. That happens a lot sure. in in a lot of true crime stuff. 
they'll go back to like American serial killers and they'll either say, A, this was actually Jack the Ripper coming over from England and doing this, or B, this was actually Jack the Ripper and then he went to England and that was Jack the Ripper over there. Like, it's so dumb. It's weird. I mean, you, you could argue the timelines maybe line up because when one was happening, the other one wasn't. Who knows? Or it could just be a copycat or it could just be another yeah. sick psycho. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one plausible suspect was put forward by Texas Monthly, the paper, uh, by writer Skip Hollinsworth. He he claims that a 19-year-old black worker named Nathan Elgin committed the crimes. Elgin worked near most of the crime scenes, and in 1886, he was shot and killed by Austin police while trying to attack a woman with a knife. Mm. I would assume the crimes ended after that killing. Mm. That's what I would assume, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's when it's done. But further uh, reports uh, said that uh, he wasn't holding a knife. It was a cell phone. Oh, Jesus. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, this is a fun, fun. <laughs> are you regretting this one now? <laughs> uh, all right. You got the next one. You got the I next do. two. You got the next two. Oh, I think I've heard of these people, actually. Go ahead. Yeah, number three. Uh, and I knew a little bit about this lady but beforehand. But uh, the angel of death. <laughs> Angels of death are actually kind of like a type of what people would call a serial killer. They're like a different one. And they're serial killers involved in the medical industry. Mm-hmm. They'd be doctors and nurses that are essentially euthanizing their patients uh, against their will. (laughs) Murder. That would be called murdering. (laughs) Involuntary euthanasia. Yeah, murder. This is one of the most notorious of them in American history. This would be the Miss Janine Jones. Mm. Miss Janine Jones between 1981 in 1982, a string of suspicious deaths occurred at the pediatric intensive care unit of a medical center hospital in San Antonio. Okay. So, Miss Janine Jones, she was the adopted daughter of a nightclub owner and a former beautician. One thing, a lot of serial killers happen to be adopted. That's mm-hmm. because they have a lot of parent issues. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. She quit her job as a nurse at the medical center hospital and re- relocated to Kerrville, Texas. Kerrville, middle of nowhere, oh. West Texas. Just FYI, it's one of the larger towns in the middle of nowhere. Okay. So Jones was arrested and charged. Oh yeah, she was. <laughs> I like this. Yeah, read this one. Jones's former colleagues described her as an intelligent woman, but very coarse and prone to making loud and lewd jokes. So, you know, she's just your, a big... She sounds like she's related to you. <laughs> <laughs> a big, brassy broad. Uh, <laughs> exactly the kind of woman you want dealing with babies. Sure, like yeah. <laughs> Jones was arrested and charged with the murder of 15-month-old Chelsea McClellan in October 1983. Investigators said that Jones had injected McClellan with a toxic amount of a muscle relaxant called succinylcholine. Less than a year later, Jones was convicted of McClellan's murder and sentenced to 99 years in prison. Texas does not take kindly to killing infants. No, uh, <laughs> also in 1984, Jones was sentenced to 60 years for the attempted murder of Rolando Santos. Still, despite these convictions, San Antonio citizens felt betrayed. After all, 
over 60 toddlers had died at the hospital between 1981 and 1982. And most suspected Jones of being the culprit. During a jailhouse interview in October of 1998, all but admitted to killing all of the children, saying, I really did kill those babies. Well, yeah, that's admitting. (laughs) (laughs) But in the same recording, Jones backtracked a little by clarifying that it was the voices in her head that were truly responsible for the intentional overdose death. She did it, but also the voices in her head did it too. So, you know, figure out who did it. Jones is set to stand trial once again. In September 2019, the 69-year-old convicted killer was officially accused of murdering Richard Ricky Nelson, Rosemary Vega, Paul Villarreal, Joshua Sawyer, and Patrick Zavala. Mm. Yeah. Shockingly, this new trial comes two years after Jones was scheduled to be released from prison as part of new statewide push to lessen prison overcrowding because that's who needs to be let out during the prison overcrowding. The baby murderer. That's so weird. Man, like Texas, overcrowding in prisons. You know you're getting crowded when you're letting out the baby murders. No, that's not it. They just can't figure it out. <laughs> just let out the nonviolent drug offenders that you. Ah, I'm gonna, my brains are gonna pour out of my ears. Anyway, well, so speak, you know, speaking of brains, yeah. Oh, hey, is this one me? <laughs> just so our audience knows, we're doing zips as well. So he, uh, he is not with us. He's supposed to be with us. So we're kind of... He's dead. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, something may have happened to him. Maybe this nurse got to him. Yeah, we're just... Uh, so some of them are a little bit not as familiar with. So we're kind of like, yeah, reading as we go. Yeah. So it's, it's fun. So we're, we apologize if we seem a little bit less, a little bit more than less prepared as per usual. But <laughs> all right. So here's number two. Number two, 1979 was a boom year for oil in Houston. Yeah, it was. You wouldn't know about this, but Houston pretty much exploded during the 80s. 1979 came around, and then Houston blew up. Our entire skyline, 70% of it came up during the 80s. That's where the movie Urban Cowboy came from. My dad was in that movie with John Travolta. Oh, was he? Yeah. Anyway, 1979 was a boom year for oil in Houston. Biggest city in the state. Also, fourth biggest city in the nation. What? What? Uh, Texas. (laughs) Yeah, we got a lot bigger in the cities. The 70s, thanks to American migrants who came from all over in order to get rich quick in East Texas. Yeah, they came from Detroit. My dad wasn't happy about it. Few of these migrants met something other than good luck in Houston. In just two months in 1979... Five people were murdered by a killer who took pleasure in decapitation. Forty years later, the killer remains uncaught, and Houston cold case investigators don't have a single fingerprint to help them. First to die, Elise Elaine Rankin. 1979, Bob Smith, one of Rankin's co-workers, showed up at the Orchard Apartments. Oh, yeah, I know these murders. Located... (laughs) Sorry. Located in the 5900 block of Glenmont in the Gulfton neighborhood of Southwest Houston. He was there to give Rankin a ride to work. Smith, noticing that the 33-year-old Rankin wasn't outside to meet him, went up to her apartment. Inside, Smith found Rankin in her bed. 
she was naked and dead. Wow, you really weren't <laughs> mincing words. Uh, <laughs> she was naked and dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy huge disclaimer at the beginning of this episode <laughs> oh please do not listen if anything offends you at all <laughs> my mom will not be listening to this episode Hey, okay. Then I could just start swearing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah maybe. Oh, hey! Cool. Her killer had tied her feet to the bed while he had placed a pillow on her upper body. Smith removed the pillow and found that Brankin was missing her head. Uh, <laughs> homo- oh, Jesus Christ. Homicide detectives would later add that Rankin had been sexually assaulted. Well, at least he sexually assaulted her normal body and not. We hope so. Her- wasn't possible. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Two weeks after the discovery of Rankin's corpse, another body was found. This one belonged to Mary Michael Calcutta, a New Houston resident originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 25 year old woman was found dead in her bathroom. There were differences between the Rankin and Calcutta crime scenes. Namely, Calcutta was found fully clothed and had her throat slit. Calcutta had also fought her killer tooth and nail, which was obvious by the fact that Calcutta's body was riddled with defensive wounds. However, investigators could not overlook the fact that Calcutta's apartment was located only two floors above Rankin's. Calcutta had also been sexually assaulted. Hmm. Jesus. It was in the same apartment complex. Two floors above? Oh, God. That's crazy. How do you live in that place anymore? You don't. They didn't. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh God. Oh. Amazingly, this was not the only weird thing about this case. On the same day that Calcutta's corpse was found, an exterminator found the body of 26-year-old Doris Lynn Threadgill inside of a townhouse in northwestern Houston. Threadgill's killer had cut her throat so bad that she had been virtually decapitated. The next body found belonged to 16-year-old Joan Huffman. These are all Houston names. Oh, yeah. Who was found, yeah, 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 these are so weird. Who was found dead inside of Watonga Park. I literally went on a date with a girl at Watonga Park just like a month ago. On the same day at a used car lot, the body of 18-year-old Robert... Ooh, uh, this is a, a man. That's kind of weird. Was a Spangenberger was found inside the trunk of a white Dodge car. Spangenberger's head had been removed. Houston investigators are not uniform in their opinions about these crimes. Some argue that it was all the work of one madman. Besides the Orchard Apartments connection between Rankin and Calcutta, Huffman's body was found four miles away from the Threadgill crime scene. Eyewitnesses also heard screams and gunshots near Threadgill's house in the night before Huffman and Spangenberger were found. Other homicide investigators discount the single killer theory, arguing that Rankin and Calcutta were killed by the same person, but Huffman and Spangenberger were killed by different people. Some even argue that Threadgill's murder is unconnected to the other four. Sure, yeah, I was wondering about that. I was going to say, that actually sounds right, because when you go serial killer, looking down that hole, they usually only kill of one gender, and et cetera, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, damn, Ryan! Yeah, well, we're going to end on a happy note. We're going to talk about the Angel of the Railroad. Uh, dude. Okay. I know this guy. I remember when this was happening 
and everybody was terrified. Okay, let's go. So America's Railroad are still being used today by hundreds, if not thousands, of vagrants. Many of these freight jumpers wind up in Texas. And one man who used the rails was a Mexican immigrant, Angel Resendez, who frequented the rails in Texas and the Midwest in order to find farm work. Besides farming, Angel worked as a serial killer. During his reign of terror, he killed between 9 and 15 people, thus earning him the nickname of the Railroad Killer. Not very original, but very to the point of what he was doing and where he was from. (laughs) Angel began killing sometime in 86. By that point, he had illegally crossed into the U.S. on several different occasions, and it was after one such crossing that he murdered an unnamed homeless woman. Angel shot this woman four times before throwing her body away like trash inside of a farmhouse. In that same year, Angel was arrested in Laredo, Texas, and convicted of using a fake U.S. birth certificate. He was sentenced to 18 months in jail. He was arrested again in May of 91, and this time he was deported back to Mexico after being caught trying to forge social security cards and illegally purchase weapons. And months after this deportation, Angel slipped back into Texas and murdered 33-year-old Michael White on July 19, 1991, whose body was found full of bullet holes in the front yard of a San Antonio home. In March 97, Angel unleashed his bloodlust. On March 23rd, 97, 16-year-old Wendy Von Huben, a runaway from Illinois, was found strangled to death alongside 19-year-old Jesse Howell. This crime scene placed Angel in Florida, for the pair were found along a pair of train tracks between Jacksonville and Tampa. In 97, July, it is believed that Angel beat a man to death with a pipe in Colton, California. Next, on Angel, August 29, 1997, 20-year-old Christopher Meyer, a student at the University of Kentucky, was hit in the head with a 50-pound rock. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> right? How did he pick up a... F- like, okay, I, mean, I can do it. But he was like, probably... The guy was... Pro- he was probably sleeping. I bet you he was sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Meyer died during the attack while his girlfriend was raped. The pair had... Yeah, the pair had been accosted after taking a shortcut that included walking over some railroad tracks. Subsequent victims included 87-year-old Leafy Mason in Hughes Springs, Texas, 81-year-old Fanny Whitner, Byers in Carl, Georgia, 45-year-old Claudia in Houston, 73-year-old Josephine in Fayette, Texas, 26-year-old schoolteacher Naomi in Houston, 80-year-old George and his 51-year-old daughter Carolyn in Gorham, Illinois, and most of these crimes involve sexual assault. Even one was one was defiling of a dead body. And the weapons that he liked to use were axes and pickaxes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So after the last of these slains in Illinois, Angel was placed on the FBI's most wanted list, although he managed to escape back to Mexico. But his yeah. family convinced him, no, you're going back. He was turned over to the Texas Rangers. And at his trial, Angel pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, stating that he was an angel sent to earth by God in order to kill the sinful. Mm-hmm. Angel did ultimately ask for the death penalty, and he got it. He died via lethal injection on June 27, 2006. His last words were, I deserve what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I remember the railroad killer. Holy crap. I remember my mom talking about it. It was It was weird. It was the only serial killer I remember happening actively at a time. Man, was there any serial killer you remember happening? Like Ted Bundy. Going oh, man. Uh, oh, yeah, you were born in 75. Yeah. Uh, Ted Bundy and uh, who's the other one? Um, Jeffrey Dahmer. 
Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so those are, I remember those when they were happening. And we had one in Vancouver, British Columbia. I forget his name, but he uh, buried people in his pig farm and they were eating. Yeah. Robert Picton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. yeah, you remember the name? I, yeah, I thank you. I totally mm-hmm. so that was like next door to me in a weird way. So that was kind of oh, yeah. our, our local killer. Yeah. Oh man, Houston had one of the worst. We had Dean Coral. A lot of people forget he's where the name the Candyman comes from. Mm. But yeah, God, I remember the railroad killer. That dude was freaky. But yeah, man. So that's tech. This is our special Halloween episode. We kind of started off a little bit with a little bit of ghouls and goblins. But we went to the real evil, which are humans. But I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just want to say before we make our pick, I think when it, because it's a Halloween special, it's a Gamma Gators Halloween special production. I think all of the Gamma Gator uh, podcasts are doing Halloween specials. So yep. I think to celebrate this special unity, uh, we might flip this episode. This will be a special. We're gonna flip it. We're gonna flip it a little bit because this is such a dark, terrible uh, stories. I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick the best of the worst on this one. Oh God, what does that even mean? It means <laughs> the one that you would like to meet. <laughs> oh, then, then I'm gonna go have a beer with the goat man. <laughs> I, me too. We're going to go grab some chicks, man. We're going to grope with the goat. Oh, God. I'm going to grope the goat, baby. (laughs) After hearing all these stories, I am totally chilling with goat man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you don't want to go hang out with the eyeball killer? Oh, they're just terrible. This was was rough. I think I I know why Zip bailed on us. (laughs) Dude, now that I think about it, that eyeball killer might be the worst one. For, like, yeah, for poops and giggles, an old joke. We for, to keep. <laughs> really, just say that? <laughs> I forgot you have kids. <laughs> oh man. So what? So all in all, the what? Who is the worst? Oh, I okay. So oh, let's look at this. Again. As per the show format, I'll read quickly the headlines. So we got the ghosts of Yorktown Hospital. We got the wind. The Wendigo. Wendigo. We've got the Goat Man. <laughs> we got people believing in satanic cults that are causing crimes. We've got the Amber Alert origin story. The Eyeball Killer. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got the Servant Girls that were the Servant Girl Annihilator, the best death metal song ever. Uh, mm-hmm. Angel of Death, the nurse that killed babies. Guy that chopped off heads in Houston. Of course, the railroad, the angel of the railroad. Mm. So the railroad killer dude was just straight up bananas. It sounds like he's like a schizophrenic serial yeah. killer. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. why that, and that you like it's terrifying, but it's not the worst to be so bad that you're just gonna inject babies, thirty to sixty babies. That's pretty awful. But. Scooping people's eyeballs out with exacto knives is pretty horrendous as well. That's your pick for worst or the best? I'm going to go exacto knife. Okay, that's good. Eyeball, well, eyeball killer. I'm going to go with Angel of Death. Yeah. The, the nurse, yeah. because, yeah, it's one thing to kill prostitutes or uh, there's a couple of the other serial killers that had a couple of young people, and yes, but overall, she killed the most. She killed the most. She wins. She, she killed the most that- babies. That servant girl annihilator dude was pretty ranked too. That was, <laughs> like, yeah, he's like Rob Zombie violent. God, that guy. He just turning people into jelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, there you go. Thank you uh, so much for coming on the show, Bob. But before we close, do you want to plug your podcast and where people can find you? And 
Yes, everyone, please go and listen to uh, me and Zip over at No Redeeming Qualities Podcast. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. Wherever you found uh, the worst or the best, you can find us because we're on Gamagator together. That's right. Um, yeah. It's a great set of shows. We want to give a shout out to all the shows on the Gamagator Productions and their Halloween Spectacular episodes. We've got State Your Take. That was with Ed and Aaron. How would you say it? They're like a, not a, not a political podcast, but they're a current event. They talk about entertainment, politics, the state of affair of the country. Yeah, you know, and they obviously come from the uh, black perspective. It's uh, it's, so it's unique to their their viewpoint and how they see things. And I've learned so much through them on these issues. And then we have Cult Forty Five, and they deal with movie reviews, and they're amazing with their with their reviews. One big toilet with Tony. That guy is a, he's a <laughs> he kills me. He makes me laugh. But he's a he's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I force him to do positive moments I love on it. the show. I love it. But yeah, Tony's positivity corner is the best is, is the best. I love it. And then lastly, we just got a new one at the time of this recording. So, oh, uh, the weekended take. That's going to be our new guys. That's going to be Terrell and Derek. They do a sports podcast called The Weekended Take. So, yeah. Thank you. And they just literally joined. I just heard their episode where they were presented by uh, by you guys and No Redeem Quality. Oh, yeah. So, great set of shows. Everyone is so good. And everyone's been on this show except for the new sports guys. We'll have to get them on this show. Yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. And remember, in front of every silver lining, there is a cloud. And we're here to help you find it. Happy Halloween. Yeah, don't get turned into jelly. Keep your eyeballs in your head. (laughs) Have a beer with Goatman. (laughs) Sounds good. Stay off the tracks. All right, man. Thanks a lot for coming out. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Later, dude. All right. It was fun. Cheers. Bye. Gamma Gator Productions.